Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 2024 Santa Fe, available early 2024. At Ferguson, your project is the company's priority. Whether you're building a new home or working on a remodel, the Ferguson team will be there to make sure everything runs smoothly from start to finish. Ferguson Associates are experts in bath, kitchen, and lighting products, and so much more. They can help with product selection, facilitating orders, and delivery coordination. They work with home builders and remodelers, designers, and homeowners to help make every project a success. Get started at ferguson.com build. I just stole Josh's trumpet bit. To announce that we are continuing our 2023 tour uh, this spring by going to D.C., uh, the Boston area, and Toronto, Canada. Yep, in that same order, May 4th, 5th, and 6th. And you can get tickets at linktree slash SYSK live for all three shows. We'll see you guys soon. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and Jerry's here, too, and that makes this Stuff You Should Know part of our continuing sad Kentucky tragic history era that we seem to be in right now. Are we going to point out where this is 15 times? No, this is in this is in the Kentucky that you'd expect it to be in. Okay, we had some funny Instagram comments on that. I, I, know, I don't know what you're talking about. About half the people when the supper club fire thing went to Instagram, said, where was this again, Josh? <laughs> no, I know. I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. I'm just kidding. Funny. I'm aware of what goes on on Instagram. Uh, who knows? I don't know. You're one of those lurkers. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I totally am. So, um, speaking of lurking, Chuck. Yes? If, if you go to Barron County, Kentucky. Okay. One of the things that you might do as a pastime is lurk in a cave. Hey, look at that transition. It was Okay. But the reason why you might do that is because Barron County and neighboring, I think, Edmonton or Edmondson County uh, are home to the largest cave system in the world, Mammoth Caves. Yeah. We talked about Mammoth and I guess it had to be our caving episode. Certainly. There's no way you can. I mean, again, it's enormous. Like, as far as we know, I think something like uh, 400 miles have been mapped. Yeah. And I was reading, we have a lot, uh, we have a, a an enslaved man back in the 1820s up to the 40s to thank for a lot of that because he was the only one brave enough to crawl over the bottomless pit wow. and keep exploring. So that definitely extended it. But they think also that there's another 600 miles. By the way, his name was Stephen Bishop. Sorry, I meant to say. Um, but they think there's another 600 miles left to be mapped. So that's a giant old cave system. Yeah, potentially a thousand miles of cave system stuff. <laughs> yes. Now, I have a desire to go in almost none of it. Yeah, I know. You know? But I'll, I have to say, like, Ruby Falls is definitely worth the visit, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my deal is I, I did it once, and it was really cool. And I would go back, but I'm not, you know, dying to. I'm kind of like, you know, I know what it's like now, and that's all I really wanted to know. Yes. I wasn't looking I for imagine. a new hobby. The thing is, though, is if you're into caves, caving, even if you're not like a caver, but you're, you know, into touring caves, yeah. you know, that you can stand up in and there's walkways and everything. Sure. 
A mammoth cave is an absolute must. It's just like geological wonder <laughs> after geological wonder. It's pretty neat. Yeah, you like your caves to uh, have an energy drink fridge at the bottom of it. <laughs> That's right, and a, a moving sidewalk. Uh, it is a national park now since 19, I think, 41, Mammoth is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a big, like, and remains a big tourist attraction, but all the way dating back to the Civil War. And as a result, that whole area became cave central, not just because Mammoth Caves, but there's so many other cave systems around there. And it became like a legitimate sort of roadside, not only stop, but destination mm-hmm. for people. And the people that, you know, was like, hey, I'll pay me a dollar or 50 cents or whatever, and I'll take you down in these caves. They started battling each other more and more, these locals trying to drum up business mm-hmm. for caves they had the, the rights to explore. And that was known as the, the Kentucky Cave Wars. Yes, and it was basically just entrepreneurs run amok in Kentucky. Um, They would burn one another's cars. Uh, They would put boulders on the road to keep tourists from being able to make it to the other cave locations. Um, They would pose as tourists and talk about how terrible one cave was. (laughs) It was pre-Yelp, so that was their live live (laughs) yelping. (laughs) And then um, another thing they would do is tell the tourists that they were all the same caves. They were just different entrances. So it's all the same. Just come to mine. Well, which is sort of true in a way. Kind of, but I think not really. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean they're all connected, but... Oh, they are. Well, what I mean is that you can access... It's like you can't get there from here kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And also, I think each entrance is like, this is a... For all intents and purposes, it's just a completely separate cave system. Right. This is my whole... Which I told you that oh, was. The, this, <laughs> I thought there's some. I thought you were using "hole" as a uh, an adjective. No, that that was the weirdest thing about when I went caving, and I'll just quickly say it again: is that I expected some big, uh, cartoon-like thing that you just walk into mm-hmm. and start exploring. Um, I did not realize you could literally walk by a cave entrance in the woods and not notice it because it's a two by two foot hole in the ground. And that makes caves exponentially scarier. For sure. You know? Oh, yeah. When I saw that thing, I was like, that's where we're going? Because that means the people coming to help you could walk right past it, too. And it's just, I mean, it's just tampering with the pits of hell. I don't don't agree with that. So our story moves on now to one of the great cavers of the region. Uh, There were a lot of great cavers, but one was a gentleman named Floyd Collins, who, uh, if you look him up, he looks a bit like Crispin Glover. Uh, in sort of the same way that almost all rural white men in Kentucky in the early 1900s looked like Crispin Glover. <laughs> yeah. He just sort of had that generic uh, Kentucky guy look. Well, the, the butt-cut hairdo, the shemp he had does, yeah. definitely helps a lot, too. <laughs> so he was born in 1887, had a bunch of brothers and sisters from uh, his mom and then a, a previous marriage that his father had. Lee. And they were really close to the Mammoth Caves, about four years old. So from the time he was a little kid, like six years old, he was out there caving and doing his thing like you would when you're six in, you know, 1907 or whatever. Yeah, plus there was not a lot else to do. Like if you were a farmer, you were eking out a really hard living in this area. Apparently the soil wasn't very helpful because, again, it's on the limestone cave system, (laughs) right? So it's kind of tough to grow things on bare limestone. Um, And so what uh, Floyd Collins figured out very quickly is that um, there were a lot of Native American indigenous artifacts, including remains, in these caves. 
and that he could take these things out of the caves and go to the Mammoth Cave Hotel, this huge uh, hotel that was built expressly for the tourists, um, and sell them to those tourists. And he was so profitable that he dropped out of school at age 10 to pursue his looting activities full time. Yeah, which, you know, um, I'm not going to judge the guy from here in 2023 Mm -hmm. for being a 10-year-old trying to make a living. Yeah, me either. I just uh, used looting as a, yeah, as yeah, a yeah. surprising word. No, of course. It surprised me. Just want to keep me. everybody on their toes. Um, so fast forward a bit. It's 1917 now, and Floyd Collins is still doing his, his caving. He's still one of the foremost experts in the region. Mm-hmm. And he found a new system, or at least no one had discovered the system as far as he knew. Right. And it was really beautiful. Um, it had these... Almost marble-like walls is how Dave Roos put it. Uh, Dave helped us with this. And it was just one of the more gorgeous caves on the inside. And so he named it the Great Crystal Cave Mm -hmm. and told his family, he's like, hey, we need to scrape together what money we have so we can lease this land because this thing is going to be our meal ticket. It's, It's prettier than any of the other caves around. Yeah, he went in halfers with his dad, Lee, and another man by the last name of Gerard. Uh, And they basically developed this great crystal cave, which was a wonderful find. He was incredibly lucky to have come upon this cave and be able to get the rights to it. There was a huge problem with it, though. It never became really financially um, successful because it was at the other end of the cave system. So by the you really had to know that it was there and want to go there. If you were just a tourist wandering around visiting caves, there was very little chance you were going to end up there accidentally. And then what with this being the cave wars and everybody who was a competitor of his, but also were probably neighbors and second cousins, by the way, um, they they were doing everything they could to keep those tourists from making their way back to Great Crystal Cave. So as great a cave as it was, it just wasn't viable. Yeah, the, the big city guy came in and said, son, you never learned the first rule of business, location, location, location. And Floyd went, why are you saying location three times? Yeah. Yeah. It's sad but true. That's a direct quote, everybody. It really is. Uh, so now they're in a situation where Floyd says, all right, that this didn't quite work out. Um, but now they're in a situation where they're kind of even more desperate than before mm-hmm. to find some means of revenue. So he set out to find another amazing cave and a better location. And he found one that wasn't quite so amazing um, as far as, as aesthetics go. Right. But it was on Cave City Road before you even got to Mammoth. So that was like, that's the location, location, location right. that he didn't understand that he needed. But he right. got it. That's how, that's how important it was, that you could have a so-so cave, but if the entrance was on the way to the bigger caves, then you had a, you had a gem mine, even yeah. if there were no gems in the cave. Because you could lie and say there are. <laughs> right. Say it's the same entrance or the different entrance to the same thing, right? So yeah. um, he went into business with a different guy, a man named B. Doyle, Beasley Doyle, and another man named Ed Estes. And um, Doyle and Estes went half on their half, and they said that they would give uh, Floyd the other half if he would explore and develop this cave so that they could start taking tourists down in it. And so Floyd Collins is being I haven't seen it expressly written out, but he spent so much time in caves from such a young age, and he um, had been at it for so long and had become such a respected caver 
that I suspect this was the one, like when he woke up, the one thing he wanted to do was go into caves. Like he just loved what he was doing. So this is probably like a dream gig for him too. Yeah, but he he started exploring this cave and and started to to develop it. But he ran into a problem very early. You you mentioned that this cave was not so great as far as caves go, right? Yeah, and we didn't mention it was called Sand Cave, and it was called Sand Cave for a reason because it was not solid limestone like you know most of the rest of these caves, which made it you know pretty tourist friendly to walk around, kind of like uh, you would a, a Ruby Falls, let's say. The smooth limestone. Yeah, the good stuff. Yeah, right. Uh, this is actually loose rock and muddy sand. So <laughs> Sand Cave is, is an apt name. And Floyd was like, I've got to make this work, though. Like, I'm even more desperate than I was before because now I've signed on to this thing. And so I'm going to, like, there's good stuff down there that's deeper. I just have to, to carve out a passageway that's safe enough to get tourists in here. Mm -hmm. And so he did that for weeks and weeks and weeks, working 12-hour days, clearing out, and it was, you know, it was really cold at the time, clearing out this mud and ice and water and rock and trying to build what looked like a legitimate entrance way. Yeah, which, I mean, I think his premise was that he would, if if he dug enough of this stuff out, he would reach those smooth limestone walls eventually. It was just going to take some extra work, right? Yeah, and he was down to work. He was DTW. And you keep men- making mention like he really needed this. Um, I mean, he was able to like make ends meet here or there. I think he and his brother like chopped timber for the railroad ties for yeah. the local lines that were built. Like again, Mammoth Caves was such an enormous attraction. There was a special railroad line that was established and built just to take people to this, right? So there was some money to be made, but to say that Floyd Collins and his eight siblings were were poor is an understatement. I saw a picture of the house that mm-hmm. the siblings all lived in with their parents and the ticket booth for Great Crystal Cave. And the ticket booth is slightly bigger than the house. I saw that. Like it is <laughs> like they were they were. Yeah, they, they live basically hand to mouth, to say the least. Yeah. So this needed to work. Uh, that's why he put in all this work uh, painstakingly digging this passage mm-hmm. and uh, eventually, on January 30, 1925, he said, all right, I've, I've got uh, an opening here, and I believe I can get down to the depths that I so desire. <laughs> and he he did. He got down uh, about 50 feet deep and then came to a 10-foot drop that's uh, shaped like a chimney. So it's a, a 10-foot chute yeah. that he can go down. And at the bottom of this chute, it kind of makes a, not the hardest L, but it would like a soft L shape right. to where it goes horizontal. But that horizontal opening was not very big. It was just enough for Floyd to like get down there on his back, go in kind of feet first mm-hmm. with the top of the, uh, the, the chute like inches above his face. Yeah, he was in this crack. So the chimney itself was not like exactly like a drop. He had to kind of shimmy down it. But with that crack was like a whole other thing altogether. He couldn't take a full breath in there. He yeah, had we to should issue a, a warning, a trigger warning for people that suffer from claustrophobia because yeah. I don't even, and a lot of this felt like I was about to have a panic attack. Yeah, I have a vague sense of claustrophobia. It it takes a lot to trigger it. Like just hearing about this stuff, I'm like, oh my gosh! But I, I can yeah. handle it. But I'll bet there's people out there who sure couldn't even hear this. So so way to go, Chuck. Yeah. So that COA and and another one, which is 
When you're dealing with old stories like this, we found that there are a lot of facts that get mixed up depending on what source you're using. So yeah, we're doing our best uh, moving forward. <laughs> well, also, like, we're we're in the age where we've really just woken up to the fact that back in the 20s, say, newspapers would print whatever. Right. And we've long been like, well, it was in the newspaper, so yeah. it's probably <laughs> well-researched. Not true, necessarily. Not true at all. So um, he's sliding through this crack, and you're probably getting pretty nervous, but hold on to that because he makes it through the crack, and on the other side he finds a big, I think, like 50-foot-deep room, a big chamber, and this is what he's been looking for. This is the kind of stuff tourists want to see. Uh, and he starts exploring it. He's rappelling down. Um, and I think it's, I don't even know if he made it to the bottom or not, but his lantern started flickering. And that is a sign if you are exploring a cave for the first time to go, to get out of the cave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's what he did. He was a smart guy. He wasn't dumb. Uh, he was a, He was very gutsy, but he didn't like just, you know, he wasn't. He didn't gamble with his life for no reason. Yeah, you know? he, kn he knew what he was doing. Yes. So he crawled back up the rope, uh, took his lamp with him, and started to make his way back through the crack. He was oriented the same way that he was going in. So he, he went in feet first. This time he went in head first. Yeah. And he made it, I believe his head made it out when he kind of kicked into the ground to kind of give himself purchase to push himself the rest of the way through the crack. When he did that, he moved some some dirt, some sand, and I've seen up to a seven-ton boulder came down from the ceiling and lodged his his foot in place firmly. It was not it was, he was not moving anymore, and he was stuck in this crack uh, hopelessly. Yeah, and that's uh, one great example. I saw seven ton, and then everywhere else I saw twenty six pounds. <laughs> big big I, difference. I mean, <laughs> could you really not? Like shimmy a 27-pound? Maybe not in a crack like that. I mean, 26 pounds on a foot in a crack. Mm -hmm. uh, and we should mention, too, that his lamp went out while he was in there. Um, and again, I saw various things uh, from that it finally flickered out to he accidentally kicked it out, mm -hmm. uh, kicked it over and made it go out. So now he is uh, laying there with his arms by his side, stuck in this crevice in the complete blackness. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Dave pointed out, and I can verify, and if you've ever been caving, it is a blackness like you've never understood before in your life. I don't want to understand that, Chuck. <laughs> it is the blackest of black. You literally cannot see your hand in front of your face. So he's, you know, literally laying there in pitch blackness, which he's sort of used to because he's, right. I'm sure he's been without a light before in a cave and gotten out of it. But uh, he was in a bad way. He was, and he wasn't panicking because he knew that he was right almost at the base of that chimney and that if he could get to the chimney, not only could he relight his lamp, he could shimmy up the chimney pretty easily. So he was almost there. But the problem was, again, he, that, that rock, whether it was 27 pounds or 7 tons, wasn't letting him go. And so Floyd Collins was alone in the dark, trapped in a crack, and no one knew he was down there. Yeah, and before we go to break, because I know that's where we're headed. Uh, the final little cherry on top of danger, danger cherry, is it's 16 degrees. Very nice, Chuck. All right, we'll be right back. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents 
a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, everybody. If you're building a deck at work and you want to supercharge it, check out Canva presentations. Work docs have been the same for too long, but Canva docs are different. They're visual. They grab readers' attention with images, charts, tables, and videos playable right in the doc. Plus, docs don't have to be just words on a page. You can make your docs pop with Canva docs. That's right. And Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, HR, ops, marketing, and more, Canva presentations can be the solution for you. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Canva presentations might be the most visually impressive presentations you'll ever use. Start with a stunning template, use it as a springboard for your design, adding images, graphics, charts, data visualizations, all from a massive media library. It's super easy to wow any audience with Canva presentations. So start designing today at canva.com, designed for work. That's C-A-N-V-A dot com. Hey everybody, it's time to talk about Squarespace, and in particular, Squarespace's Fluid Engine, a next-generation website design system only from Squarespace. It makes it easier than ever for anybody to unlock unbreakable creativity. That's right. That's because you start with a best-in-class website template. Then you customize every design detail with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. You can stretch your imagination online with Fluid Engine, built in and ready to go on any new Squarespace site. Yep, you can use your site to easily sell custom merch through your online store. You can upload, organize, and access all your content from one place with your asset library. And those amazing website templates are all flexible with designs for every category and use case. That's right. So just go to squarespace.com stuff for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code stuff to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. <laughs> So, Chuck, before we get started again, I want to shout out a source. Um, there's an article from 1976 in American Heritage magazine, a great history source, um, by Michael Lisi, L-E-S-Y. And he actually was the guy who wrote uh, or compiled Wisconsin Death Trip a few years before he wrote that article. And um, it's called Dark Carnival, and it is really worth a read. But he got all of his sources directly from newspapers. So basically every word he, he wrote had been reported in the newspaper somehow or some way. So that is probably why that's the only source for the seven ton. It was probably misreported. But yeah. um, he's still a, a pretty good source for facts. He's a, a professional historian, so he knew what he was doing. But he was also really fascinating, too. 
All right, so he's down there. No one knows he's there for a while. He was known to disappear for, you know, many hours and days exploring these caves. So it's not like the uh, people got too concerned at first. Uh, it would be 25 hours before anyone even knew anything was going on with him. And that was when uh, the son of Estes, his name was Jewel, pretty cool name, uh, 17-year-old, went to go check. Uh, he had kind of been hanging out with Floyd and caving with him. And I think Floyd even said, like, you know, I could die in here to the guy the day or two before. And he's the one who went down there, called out for Floyd, and heard Floyd call back that he was hung up and needed help. Right. So this is good. I mean, it's been a full day, but at least now somebody knows he's down there. So Jewel Estes runs back and starts getting help. And I think in very short order, word got to his brother Homer, uh, who has his, I guess, younger brother, because I think Floyd was 30 at the time, and I think Homer was 22. Or 14, and, depending on where you get oh, your Oh, really? Source. I hadn't seen 14. Yeah. So Homer, either way, he rushed. I get the impression that he was a, a man by then, so I'm going to say 22. Yeah, okay. But he rushed to the um, the site and basically became the first person who was willing to actually go in and try to rescue Floyd. There are other people who had given it a shot before Homer arrived, but they apparently that chimney scared every single one of them off. They were like, I, "I'm sorry, I'm I like Floyd a lot, but that's I'm not going through that chimney." Yeah. So he shows up, says uh, Floyd's like, "Can I get some food first and foremost?" So his brother said, "Sure. Here's the worst thing possible you could eat when you're pinned in a cave. Uh, mm -hmm. Here's some sausage and coffee." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's get that heart rate up. Ensure that you're going to have to urinate. And then just the sausage is just a bonus. Yeah. Just to fill you I'm, up. Yeah. And to, to make that poop really flow. <laughs> but he had food. I, I'm kind of kidding around here. This is what people ate back then. So he just needed some some calories in his body. Uh, and Homer was down there working hard, trying everything he could do to get him loose. Every time he dug rubble out, more rubble would fall down where that rubble was. Mm -hmm. He brought a crowbar back to try and dislodge some bigger stones. Uh, nothing was working. He's exhausted and cold at this point. He's offering up, like, advice is coming in from around the country by this point. Like, word had gotten out of, like, how to do it. He's offering to pay surgeons $500 to go down there and cut his foot off. And I think one surgeon was actually debating whether or not to do it. Yeah, I think he was sent by the uh, the heiress to the International Harvester Fortune. He, he got sent to the scene. She paid for him to go there. It was nice. Yeah, it was. It was very nice. I mean, she was very concerned. And apparently, he was one of the best surgeons in America. And yeah. he ended up becoming one of the medical advisors during this time. But he did not go down and cut his foot off because he couldn't reach his foot anyway. There's no way. But they were saying, well, we could also put ropes around him and pull him out and just cut his foot off like that. Yeah. Not not a good idea, and they didn't actually do it, but that was definitely on the table for a while. Uh, yeah, and they were also, you know, they, this is a really sort of sad part of this, is there were people that were volunteering to go down and bring him blankets and food and stuff, mm -hmm. and they would go down and come back and say, his, he's in good spirits, he's got the food and blankets, and then later when uh, other people would go down to check things out, they would find that food and blankets just sort of cast aside and stuffed in cracks, mm -hmm. and that... People were too scared to go down there and, I guess, too scared to admit it. Yeah. So there you go. There's there's a couple of things that we've just hit upon, I think, Bear um, pointing out. Um, 
one is that people are taking blankets down and then not actually doing it. So we don't actually have any like professional rescuers right now. And then secondly, like his brother is the first person who's willing to get down there and give him some food. And if you take a step back, you realize like this is a it's a big problem for Floyd Collins. But at this point and for a really shockingly long time, it was basically a local problem. The people who were in charge of rescuing Floyd were the same people who were um, his competitors in the, the cave tourism business. It was just locals trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. And didn't the bro- I'm sorry, the son of one of the former partners who was a good, trusted friend, he got involved as well, right? Was it Jewel, the- Jewel Estes was, was the son? No, not, not Jules, the uh, Burnett. I don't. I didn't see him. Yeah, Johnny Burdett. Put, he factored in pretty heavily as far as because he was a trusted person to mm-hmm. Floyd. So Floyd told him, "Like you're the only person I like trust to get me out of here." Oh, okay. Wow. So, so, um, yeah. So, so there were people who were like really trying to do this. They had the best intentions. They just didn't necessarily know what to do. And the the upshot of it is. There was a distinct lack of expertise in that kind of thing um, for a very long time, for the first several days of Floyd's encounter. Right. Uh, And I guess we should introduce Skeet, huh? Yes. Now, this is the first time somebody comes outside with no expertise but has the guts to be like, this man needs to get out of there, and I'm going to do what I can, right? Yeah, this is Skeet Miller. Uh, This is three days into uh, this debacle. He was a, a young kid. He was, well, he was 20, young to me. That was like 60 back then, I guess. <laughs> Probably. Uh, so he was a, a reporter, came down to Cave City on assignment from the Louisville Courier-Journal to cover this mm-hmm. story. He was a little guy. Um, the joke was that he looked like a mosquito. He was 5'5", five, five, weighed barely over 110 pounds. So he was a little guy, like you said, that had a lot of guts. And also, which is key, small enough to get into some of these places that some of the larger dudes could not get into. But he was a reporter, and he was going after the story, at least as at first. So when he first went down there, he was going down there to interview Floyd. And the reason why he decided to do that was because he had tried to interview Homer, who said something like, if you want information, there's the hole right over there. You can go down and find out for yourself. And so Skeet said, I'll take that as permission. And he went down and interviewed um, Floyd Collins himself. And in very short order, um, over the course of the time Floyd was in this hole or in this cave, um, Skeet just kept writing more and more stories, interviewing him multiple times, and ended up winning a Pulitzer for his yeah. reporting. He he became as much a star as Floyd Collins did in this saga because of his writing and because he, he was basically doing gonzo journalism uh, with a trapped man in a cave. Yeah, and he also uh, was the— one saying like this, he's in bad shape down there, right? Um, like these reports of him being in good spirits aren't super accurate because he's he looks like a guy that's been trapped in a cave for three days, right? That's what I wanted to say. Like he he started out going after the story, but once he encountered um, Floyd in real life, he's he became an actual rescuer as well. Yeah, he wanted to get him out of there. Um, yeah. he did things like uh, developed a bucket brigade system to get stuff out of there. Uh, he brought a light down. Well, he lit a lot of the cave just so they could see better, but he he brought a light down to Floyd to keep him warm, like a light bulb, mm-hmm. uh, like legit electricity to help keep him warm a little bit. Because remember, it's freezing cold down there. 
Man, I can't imagine 16 degrees. Yeah, and this it was over now a, a couple of weeks, like 17 days. Little Skeets Miller is uh, getting down in that cave and trying to rescue along with Homer and along with some other people, like really dedicated to getting him out of there. Right. So the thing is, is Skeet's writing these dispatches for the Louisville Courier-Journal, and it's starting to get picked up by the Associated Press, and the Associated Press is um, sending these out to, to newspapers all over the country, and all of a sudden, Floyd Collins went from, uh, as Dave puts it, like this poor schmuck who is like trapped in a cave, uh, to a national like interest story, human interest story that just gripped the nation. And one of the reasons why it was able to grip the nation was um, not just because of the AP picking up Skeet's um, writing, but also because radio was becoming a thing at the time. Not everybody had a radio this early on, but enough people did that there were like radio broadcasts done from the cave site um, that, that were reaching people's homes all over the country. So between the newspapers and the radio, it was just the whole nation was enthralled with Floyd Collins' plight. Yeah, it became uh, it became a not only a media sensation but a local sort of uh, carnival atmosphere. Right. Like yeah. there were thousands of people there uh, that came to through the town at least to see what was going on. I think there were at least two thousand people at the cave site. Mm -hmm. um, there's this website, this guy uh, that had pictures of you know of the scene at the cave entrance, of the grounds, of the people in the cars, the people selling hot dogs and hamburgers mm -hmm. and and balloons that said sand cave and it's uh it's crazy to see these black, old black and white photos of just how like um how crowded it got in rural Kentucky by this cave entrance yeah by by all estimates tens of thousands of people ended up showing up over the course of this these couple weeks that Floyd Collins ended up being stuck in the in the ground um I saw 10,000. I saw 60,000. There was just a ton of people, and they came from all over at a time when it wasn't that easy to travel, but they were coming from out of state. Um, and uh, I say, Chuck, we take a little break and uh, come back to this carnival that's growing up around Floyd's um, hapless situation. Let's do it. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
Hey everybody, if you're building a deck at work and you want to supercharge it, check out Canva presentations. Work docs have been the same for too long, but Canva docs are different. They're visual. They grab readers' attention with images, charts, tables, and videos playable right in the doc. Plus, docs don't have to be just words on a page. You can make your docs pop with Canva docs. That's right. And Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, HR, ops, marketing, and more, Canva presentations can be the solution for you. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Canva presentations might be the most visually impressive presentations you'll ever use. Start with a stunning template, use it as a springboard for your design, adding images, graphics, charts, data visualizations, all from a massive media library. It's super easy to wow any audience with Canva presentations. So start designing today at canva.com, designed for work. That's C-A-N-V-A.com. At the start of the new year, every small business owner is asking themselves the same question. What's the one move you can make that'll take your business to the next level in 2024? Well, LinkedIn Jobs knows that your success all depends on the team you surround yourself with, right? That's right. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. Because LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than 1 billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Yeah, and when you have that many quality candidates, hiring is easy. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn also knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. And thankfully with LinkedIn, the process is intuitive, quick, and easy. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash SYSK23. That's linkedin.com slash SYSK23 to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so Floyd is still trapped. Uh, they're getting some food down to him. He is not doing well. Uh, there's a carnival atmosphere, uh, like we mentioned, kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually they did make a little bit of progress in the, uh, with this bucket, uh, bucket brigade in that they, they cleared out enough for him to be able to, to move a little bit for the first time. It cleared his arms. It cleared his legs because stuff had collapsed uh, beyond just that either 26 pound or seven ton boulder that was on his foot. So he was, you know, fully trapped for a long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then finally he was able to move around a little bit. They, he said that he was freed at one point, like that his foot was even, I guess he was delirious or miscommunicating because that foot was definitely not free. Right. Uh, And the last guy to bring him food was a, a miner named Maddox who brought him food that he ate. And he was, Floyd is delirious at this point and said, Maddox, get me out. Why don't you take me out? Kiss me goodbye. I'm going. And apparently Maddox kissed him goodbye, which was a very Mm -hmm. empathetic, sweet thing to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, heat from all this work had thawed this frozen uh, mud that basically was acting like a mortar. And he just he got more entangled and trapped than he was before. And Maddox came out saying, like, He's dying, like, very, very soon. 
Imagine being Maddox and waking up in the middle of the night for the next 50 years to Floyd um, Collins's voice saying, Maddox, why don't you get me out? Yeah. That's awful, man. Especially to somebody that empathetic, too, you know? Sure. He kissed him. So, right. So, um, as, as, after Maddox makes it out, I don't believe anybody was any, anywhere near the inside of Sand Cave with Floyd at the time, but the, the cave finally just collapsed in. The, the, the way to get to Floyd was now cut off hopelessly. And they had no idea what had happened to Floyd. Was he covered up in the, the cave-in? Was it just cutting off their, their, you know, their passage between them and him? Right. They, they just didn't know. And now, finally, this is about day five of poor Floyd Collins, already being a national American media sensation. Um, finally, the governor of Kentucky is like, maybe we should do something. And now the experts start to show up, but they show up like just hopelessly too late. Um, despite that, despite him being in there for five days and um, him being totally cut off now with no access to food or water or anything, um, they decided that they were still going to do everything they could to get him out. And the, the idea that was put forth that everybody agreed on was to, to construct a shaft directly down to him, I think to his feet, and to get him out that way, to get the boulder off of his foot and to pull him back through the crack one way or another. But the problem was, Chuck, this was solid limestone and they couldn't use dynamite, right? Yeah, they couldn't use dynamite. Um, Dave said they couldn't use heavy machinery at all, but I saw something that said that they brought in two steam shovels, Mm -hmm. uh, like $10,000 steam shovels. And at one point, Someone said, I think in a not too happy way, it's going to cost $100,000 to dig out a dead body Mm. Uh, because I think the writing was on the wall at that point. But at any rate, they did dig uh, a team of 75 experts this time, um, built a five story shaft into the ground. And, uh, you know, these guys weren't in great shape either doing this hard work. Right. But they eventually get down there and what they find is a dead Floyd Collins. Yeah, sadly. Um, this was, I think, day 15, maybe, when they finally reached him. I think 18 days later is what it says. Okay. Um, and he had gotten caved in on day four or five. So there was a lot of people out there who were like, yes, he's he's already dead, but we should get him anyway. And some people were like, there's a chance, you know? Yeah. But there, there wasn't just a, there weren't high hopes for reaching him, and those hopes were were not fulfilled anyway. When they found him, um, the coroner, I believe, said that he had he had died just three days before they reached him, but that esteemed doctor that the heiress to the International Harvester Fortune sent uh, calculated more like five based on the condition of Floyd's body. Yeah, but the they had the same problem that they had before, even in death. Um, they couldn't get that boulder off of his leg, and they, apparently it was enough of a problem to get him out that they all agreed that they should basically leave him down there, that this shaft or this this crevice that he was stuck in was now his grave. Right. We bury people in the ground anyway. This was the ground burying him prematurely, essentially, is I guess what the Kentucky reasoning was. So um, they, they everybody basically left. The media circus was over. Um, the, the, the news reports kind of moved on to some other stuff and, um, the world just kind of, 
They didn't forget about Floyd Collins, but they had other things that suddenly grabbed their immediate interest, right? Yeah, and, you know, as a sort of a sidebar, before they found his dead body, there were rumors that started to circulate because, again, people were printing things that weren't quite accurate. And Mm -hmm. uh, rumors started to circulate that, that, why am I saying circulate weird? That's so weird. Circulate? I was saying circulate. I like it. That's a new way to say it. I think you're just evolving the English language, Charles. Anyway, uh, the rumors were that this was all a stunt to get people there to go to his cave, that Floyd was not trapped at all, Mm -hmm. was sort of the main rumor, and that he was orchestrating a hoax to to drive people uh, there to to pay money to go into the caves. Um, There were other rumors that abounded that uh, maybe people blocked access to the tunnel to delay the rescue. Uh, to kill him so that they could get that real estate for the cave uh, mm-hmm. because these cave wars were still going on. And this all culminated uh, and eventually a, a a court, a military tribunal even convened to see if this was in fact a hoax. And I think this is all going on bef- before they finished the rescue. Yeah, I think this was happening while they were digging that limestone shaft by hand, essentially. So, and they had plenty of time to do it and no new news, right? There was nobody talking to Floyd anymore. So the newspapers were just printing whatever they could get their hands on that had anything to do with it, whether it was factual or not, which has made our our efforts that much harder. Thank you, old-timey newspapers, right? (laughs) Yeah. So B. Doyle, who was the guy that he went into business with, uh, put up a roadside sign that said, you know, 200 yards away is the body of Floyd Collins imprisoned in Sand Cave. And he would charge people 50 cents just to go down and, and stand at the mouth of the cave mm-hmm. uh, above the tomb and, I guess, either pay their respects or just gawk or whatever, draw a picture of it, whatever you did back then as a tourist. <laughs> right. Uh, Homer, and this was, was admirable and sad, he hit the yeah. road uh, on the vaudeville stage to tell this story. Uh, and, bef- like, when I first saw that, I was like, that doesn't sound like a Homer Collins move. Right. Seems like That's a, not the Homer I know. Yeah, he seems like a stand-up, either 14 or 22-year-old. And he was doing it to raise money to get him out of there. He was like, I don't think that should be his final resting place, so I'm going to do whatever I can to make enough money to fund a dig. Yeah, the way I saw it put was that he had vowed to Floyd that he would get him out of there, and even though Floyd died, that didn't that didn't release him from that vow in his mind. So that is pretty neat. You know, especially because I I think that the public idea or the later idea of him was that he had been doing it for just money and fame or whatever. But it worked, right? It did work. A couple months later, he was able to pay for his brother to be removed from that crevice. And so, as people do, they put Floyd back in the ground. But at this time, they put Floyd back in the ground in a much more appropriate place, the family cemetery. Uh, And... They actually used a stalactite or mite, I can't remember, as a headstone for him, which is super neat and appropriate for a Floyd Collins headstone. I couldn't figure that out because I saw the headstone. Did they just crush it and make it into a headstone? I don't think that's the original headstone that you saw. If it was oh, a, really? If it, if it was a color photo, I think that was the, the one that came later. Okay, but how would they make a headstone out of a stalactite anyway? Hey, those Kentucky people are industrious. <laughs> they can do anything they put their minds to, except for get Floyd Collins out of the ground. Oh, boy. So uh, tourists kind of stopped coming around uh, because a lot uh, of the reason was because of this story. They were like, this 
champion caver died down there. Mm-hmm. Like maybe we shouldn't spend our spring break uh, caving in Kentucky anymore. <laughs> right. And so they sold the great, uh, his family sold the great crystal cave, that initial cave that was gorgeous, uh, to a dentist named Harry Thomas, who said, throw in an extra 10 grand. And that's a, that's a lot of money back then. Uh, yeah, especially if like you're, yeah. Your ticket booth is bigger than your house. Yeah, so just keep that in mind before you prejudge the family for what they agreed to. He said, for an extra 10 grand, uh, if you'll let me exhume his body and put it on display in a glass coffin in that cave uh, in a, you know, respectful way, mm-hmm. uh, then we got a deal. And they needed the money, and they said yes. Yeah, so for... More than 60 years, Floyd Collins was in a glass coffin in the Great Crystal Cave uh, beneath, I believe, that stalactite or stalagmite headstone with the engraving greatest cave explorer ever known. And for the first uh, at least 15 years, I think, if you were a tourist and you went to the Mammoth Caves, you probably made an extra trip to the Great Crystal Cave to go see Floyd Collins' super embalmed corpse through the 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 glass window in his in his um casket right just yeah. laying there in the in the, the the i think a chamber of the great crystal cave and actually slight in show correction um the body did not stay there for that long um uninterrupted okay fair enough <laughs> in march of 1929 his body was stolen by grave robbers uh apparently their intent was to toss it in the east river or I'm sorry, the Green River. <laughs> they're going to drive to New York, toss it in the East River. Yeah, they were going to hit Kramer swimming. Uh, but it, it got caught in some underbrush, and they couldn't get the body out. Dr. Thomas recovered the body in a field, um, Saul's leg. So the leg that was trapped was no longer there, and I don't think anyone knows where that leg ended up. Um, but then he, Dr. Thomas reinterred it, uh, this time in a chained, uh, locked-up casket back in that okay. cave. Yeah, and that's where he stayed for decades. Uh, the thing is, the National Park Service came in and bought the place in 1961. So, yeah, for about 30 years, you could go visit um, Floyd Collins' body in the Great Crystal Cave. But once the MPS took over, um, they honored the, the family's wishes, not by removing um, him from the cave, but by closing off public access to the cave. Yeah. So for all intents and purposes, he was no longer um, something for tourists to gawk at. Um, even though he was still down in this cave and the family didn't want him in there anymore. So it wasn't until 1989 um, that I believe a a court ordered um, his body to be removed and finally um, interred, once again, in the ground topside. And that's where he he remains today. And I believe, Chuck, that they um, put him in the ground on March 24th, 1989, which is right around the anniversary of that um, that interment when this episode's coming out, I think. And right after my 18th birthday, senior year of high school. Awesome, man. I'm surprised I didn't hear the news. Oh, yeah, your birthday is coming up, isn't it? Ides of March. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget, Chuck. <laughs> uh, so that's the story. They ended up, um, Billy Wilder, famous film uh, director and writer, uh, made a film called Ace in the Hole. Um, that basically was an indictment on the media uh, surrounding this event, uh, starring a youngish Kirk Douglas uh, as the as not Skeeter as a as a bad newspaper reporter. 
Two things. Have you ever seen Witness for the Prosecution written by Billy Wilder? I think I have, but it's been a long time. I just saw it for the first time the other day. It's one of the best movies I've ever seen. He's, I mean, he's one of the best. You ever seen The Apartment? I haven't. I have seen Sunset Boulevard plenty of times. It's a great movie, too. The, the Apartment's amazing. And that was uh, Scott Ackerman's movie crush pick. Oh, okay. And then the second thing, Chuck, is that there is actually a musical that was made. I think it first was put on in 1996. It's called Floyd Collins. I was surprised to see that. I have an impression it was in the same vein as uh, that musical that the um, oh, the the South Park creators came up with about the cannibal in Colorado. Oh, the uh, Book of Mormon? No. This yeah. was a different one. Okay. It was before Book of Mormon. I oh, think. I thought, anyway. I thought this was like a respectful thing. I didn't know it was a comedic it, it was, send-up. It, it was. That's what I was going to say. It was much more respectful. Oh, but okay. it was. It, there was a lot of—I think the basis of it was a comedy musical. Oh, interesting. What's, what's but, funny about this? <laughs> I don't know. But the cool thing is, is the guy who wrote the, the, um, the words and lyrics, I think the whole thing basically, um, he got an hour in the cave— um, it was it was opened up for him specially, and he did a lot of research. And actually, an analysis of the play by Scott Miller uh, informed uh, some of this episode. It was one of the sources we used. He yeah. did that much research on it. I think they were the ones that said his brother was 14, so I take issue. Oh, really? <laughs> now I'm conflicted. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, but back then, the difference between 14 and 22 is, well, it's, it's half your life, actually. <laughs> I guess. Uh, you got anything else? I got nothing else. R.I.P. Floyd Collins. We're sorry that that happened to you, Floyd. Uh, and since Chuck says he's got nothing else, that means it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this Great Naming Convention. Uh, hey, guys, longtime listener of the show. I'm finishing my master's in a couple of months, and I want to say thank you for keeping me entertained through a move to a new state, long hours of tedious work, and my commute to campus every day. I had to stop listening in the library because I laughed out loud every episode. <laughs> I really enjoyed your nap episode. My brother has been an advocate for coffee naps for years hmm. and coined a term that I think is pretty great. You re- did you see this? You ready for this? Uh, no, I haven't seen that one yet. I'm not ready, no. The Nappuccino. Ooh, that is good. How great is that? Uh, wow. Not a napper myself, but I think everyone should use this term. That is from Madison. Uh, Madison, whoever your brother is... You didn't name your brother, but just tell him that that's a pretty great, a pretty great title. It is. It definitely beats the two I was working on, the uh, flat nap yeah, or the nappate. <laughs> Neither one of those is nearly as good as nappuccino, I'll tell you that. The, no, never mind. You know, Leave what would happen, <laughs> what would happen, Chuck, if Al Pacino took a nappuccino? He would say, that was a great nap! <laughs> okay. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, like who? Uh, Madison. Madison did with some great information about your sibling. We want to hear it. You can email to us at stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
love the dance challenges. <laughs> I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Hey, everyone. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new truck like a rugged half-ton Tundra, combining raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. You don't need special gadgets to be a hero. With unlimited 1.5% cash back on every purchase everywhere, the Capital One Quicksilver card makes you the hero of every purchase. Whether it's headphones, a lounge chair, or even a well-deserved massage, whatever the Quicksilver purchase, you're the hero. No fighting bad guys, getting in epic car chases, or parachuting out of buildings required. Simple, isn't it? The Capital One Quicksilver card. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.